Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. But today we'll work from Colossians 3. This is the second half of chapter 3 going into chapter 4. And then we're going to read a little portion of a book called Philemon as well. These are both printed in your order of worship, and so you can follow along there. Or if you want to turn to those texts in your own Bible, you could do so. Um, as we read today and, and as we move toward the sermon, just remind you we've sort of been doing a, a Bible study style sermon series trying to teach through Colossians and uh, what it says and why I think it's so important. Today is the part of Colossians that often gets left out. Uh, people preach right up through the middle of chapter 3 uh, and then they say, well, that's good. That's enough with Colossians um, because the last part is more challenging, right? Um, but I think we have read it all thus far and so we need to finish up here and work through some of these challenging words ourselves this morning. And so you'll hear today from Colossians 3.18 some familiar words, perhaps more familiar to some than others. Beginning in verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as is done for the Lord and not for your masters, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you about everything here. The last, verse, the last few verses we're going to read are from Philemon. Philemon's a tiny little book uh, in the back of the New Testament. It's so small that it doesn't have chapters, okay? Uh, it's just Philemon, verse 1, and so on. And so we're reading from verses 8 through 21. It's about 330 words. You could read the whole book in three or four minutes. And so we're going to read a good chunk of it, but still yet uh, not too many verses. So Philemon, this is Paul writing. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, Yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love, and I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me, and so I'm sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way, if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. May God bless our reading of the Holy Scriptures, and let us say together, Amen. Let us pray. Yes, God, we ask that you would bless our reading and hearing of the Holy Scriptures this morning, ancient words that were uh, given to us across the history of the church, empowered by the Spirit. And so we read today, expecting that that Spirit would be near to us, that your Spirit would work through these words, that your Spirit would speak to our Spirit. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Harper Lee's novel, which was of course made into a wonderful movie, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, Miss Maudie Atkinson uh, is the neighbor of the Finch family, Atticus Finch's family. She's a neighbor and a nearby uh, caretaker, sometimes of the children. And there's one particular scene where Maudie Atkinson sits down with Scout uh, to talk to Scout about their neighbor, Arthur Boo Radley, and the concerns that the children have around him. And in that book and in that movie, the quote goes this way, Miss Atkinson speaking to Scout. You're too young to understand it, but sometimes the Bible in the hand of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hand of another. There are some kind of men who are so busy worrying about the next world that they've never learned how to live in this one, and you can look down the street and see the results. And so in that scene, of course, I assume you're familiar with the book and the story, and probably many of you have seen the movie. Uh, in that scene, Miss Atkinson is describing the strange social dynamics that go with Mr. Arthur Boo Radley, how he chooses to stay home, essentially, and self-imprisoned in his own home. And she says the reason he lives this way is he was rela- raised by a kind of religious, fundamentalist, zealot father who made his life so difficult and painful that he chooses simply not to engage with the public. Today we are reading from Colossians 3, and we are reading what is, of course, a difficult and challenging text. And so I want to remind you today that uh, I believe the Bible uh, is an important book, of course, for our historical uh, faith and for our learning and for our growth. It's a sacred book. It's full of uh, stories and teachings of Jesus and about the character and identity of God. And it's a book that shapes our moral life, our shared moral life in the church and a lot of our moral life outside of the church. But it's also a book that has sometimes been misused and has even been abused and has been used to do harm to people, particularly people with little power or authority in their own lives. And today is just one of those texts. It's one of those texts that if not read carefully, if not read uh, seriously, if not read with the uh, love of Jesus in mind, uh, that has been used in, in wrong ways and has been used to hurt people. And so even today, as I was reading it, I don't know how it landed with you, depending on your church background, depending on the sort of sermons you've had, heard about it or the sort of teaching you've had around this text, you may have felt your stomach sort of tightening. Oh, wow, here we go again with this, this part of the Bible. What are we going to do with it this Sunday? And yet, I'm pretty confident uh, that though it's a challenging text, it really contains uh, some, some wonderful good news. Uh, for us and even for some of those parties that stand in question within the text this morning. 
And so I want to do, as we've done the last few weeks, I want to read it closely. I want to try to teach through it and preach through it and talk about why. I think what Paul is doing there is, is pretty remarkable and revolutionary, but it takes a little bit of digging to understand and appreciate that. So let's do that together this morning. All right, as we're reading from Paul's letter in Colossians, we've been working last week with chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Paul begins this shift to talk about Christian ethics, to talk about the way in which we ought to live with one another. Right? So I'll just remind you, chapter 1 is that high Christology. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. All things came into being through him. All right? So Paul begins with this high image of Jesus. Chapter 2 was about our hope in Jesus because of our baptism. Jesus Christ was put to death and resurrected. We have been baptized into Jesus' death and into his resurrection. And so we are already united with Jesus in this life. Right? So that's chapters 1 and chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, Paul begins to think about uh, what does this all mean? right? Uh, So Jesus is the the image of the invisible God. So we have been baptized into Jesus. How then are are we to live with one another, right? So the early church in Colossae, a place of great diversity. We've talked about the religious diversity, the ethnic diversity in this Greek city, all these different people there trying to follow Jesus together. Chapter three is about how that might actually happen. And so last week we talked about, you know, vices to virtues, no longer living into the vices that cause harm to us and to others, but living into Christian virtues, no longer speaking and sharing hurtful words, angry words, but learning to share the words of Christ, sing psalms and spiritual songs. That's all last week. In chapter 3, verse 11, last week we read this verse. I didn't make too much of it last week, but it's really kind of the the hinge point which which brings us into today's teaching. In chapter 3, verses 11, Paul says this, Having clothed yourself with a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of the Creator, in that renewal there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now last week we kind of read that quickly, I didn't spend much of the sermon talking about it, but it really can't be overstated what a remarkable thing Paul is saying here. That in this church in Colossae, all these different people are coming to worship together from different social strata, right? Different economic privileges, different races, different ethnicities. And Paul says the reason that we can all worship together is because in Christ Jesus, those social divisions are no longer present. Slave and free, barbarian, Scythian, Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. In Christ Jesus, we're all one together. Well, that kind of brings us to the the more... intense the more in-depth look at like okay Paul so if we're all one in Christ Jesus if there's no longer slave or free if there's no longer Greek or Jew like how does that actually work in our day-to-day world like what does that really mean that in Jesus we've all been made one and so we read today from verses 18 and following so we switch from chapter 3 here in the middle from this kind of general ethics this kind of broad we're all one in Christ Jesus therefore we put away our vices we live into virtues and then in verse 18, we get real specific, right? So, so what then? So what does that mean with the people that we live with and work with on a daily basis? What we're reading today from verses 18 and following, this is commonly referred to as the household codes, the household codes. And these occur a few different places in the New Testament where Paul kind of rattles off this list of relationships, and they typically revolve around the household, and they typically kind of begin with the, the upper, the most authority figure, and they work their way down the household code. So these aren't entirely uncommon in the New Testament. We think Colossians may be the earliest or the oldest version where Paul does this sort of writing. 
But it's important, first of all, today to recognize that this, this context with which Paul is speaking about the household and the way it's structured, that predates Christianity substantially, right? That this idea that the household would have a structure, that the household would have a hierarchy, husband, wife, children, slaves, that the household would be guided in that way, that's, that's, that's a secular concept that comes well before Christianity, and we read that in the Greek tradition, in the Stoic tradition, about this hierarchy, about this is the way the world should function, there should be certain people with authority, certain people under others, and if everyone would align in this way, then the world would function as it should. That's kind of a common secular teaching. So what Paul is doing here in chapter 3 and 4 is he's taking this secular idea of the household structure that everyone would have known, common knowledge there in Colossae, and he's putting a, a, Christian, a Christian lens through it, right? We know this household structure is out there, husbands, wives, children, slaves. Knowing that it's out there, how should we as Christians work within this structure? So it's a pretty big deal what Paul's doing here, right? He's taking this common thing that everyone accepts, and he's trying to rethink it a little bit. And of course, he begins with relationships between husband and wife, marriage, or even family. When Paul writes here about wives and husbands, it's a really revolutionary thing that he's doing on a few fronts the first of course is that Paul assumes that people are married one man and one woman and that they're practicing monogamy they're only married to one man and one woman they only have a relationship with one man and one woman this was not necessarily the case in the ancient secular world we know often the case that men had many wives and if not wives they had other women with whom they had relationships with this was common practice and it wasn't necessarily frowned upon so when Paul writes, wives and husbands, he's kind of envisioning a new standard for Christian marriage, for Christian relationship. One man, one woman, and monogamy together. We also know that in the ancient world, this is clear in, in, in extra-biblical resources, that women were treated as much lower citizens, right? That men, particularly men who had property or who had authority in the political, uh, economic world, they had the power, right? And women typically didn't own property, didn't have businesses, didn't have much authority, and so they were considered as much lower citizens. This is just true, right? And so when Paul writes to women in this way, he really honors them, celebrates their personhood and their dignity in a way that wasn't happening in other traditions. Paul writes directly to women, right? And he says, women, you ought to submit, you ought to care for, you ought to be in a relationship with your husband. And then husbands... You should never treat your wives harshly. Now, we hear that and think, well, obviously, right? Husbands shouldn't treat their wives harshly. But I'm telling you, in the ancient world, compared to the other resources, the other sources we have from this time, what Paul is saying here is a pretty big deal. I mean, he's telling the more powerful figure, husbands, you should care for your wives, right? This is not property to you. This is not someone of lower value. This is someone who deserves your care, your love. You should never treat them harshly harshly right it's a radical thing that paul is asking of husbands we may not think it so today but it certainly was in its own time the next group of course that paul uh, talks about that paul deals with are children if women were of low value and of low esteem in the ancient world uh, children were even more so now again this really pushes against our modern uh, our modern expectations around children 
Of course, we celebrate when children are born, when new babies are brought into the world, when new babies are brought into our church. We celebrate children and their schooling and they're going to, to the start the school year and buy backpacks. We celebrate children at Christmas time. I mean, I have a toy room that would prove to you just how important children are, right? Uh, children get lots of attention and love in our world for the most part. But that wasn't true in the ancient world. You know, children were an economic liability. Children often didn't survive uh, their infant years or their childhood. And as soon as they were able, they were expected to contribute to the household in some way. And honestly, that was true up until just a few centuries ago, right? This is the way children were viewed. They weren't celebrated in the sort of way that they are today. So when Paul lifts up children and says that children ought to be cared for, it's a pretty remarkable thing, right? And specifically, he says to fathers, you ought not to provoke your children, right? You ought not make their lives any harder than they have to be. And you don't want them to lose heart. So in this writing, Paul is lifting up women who are typically of low esteem. And he's lifting up children who are all but forgotten. And he's giving them great dignity and importance. And he's counting them as, as equal members of the family and of the social structure of his day. Now we might take a lot of that for granted, but, but that was not the case in the ancient world. A lot of what Paul is doing here, women and children, fairness, justness, care for one another... Those concepts that we take for granted today began with the early church in writings like this by Paul. Now, women and children, we can sort of wrap our minds around that. The next part, of course, is more difficult, slaves and masters. When we read about slavery and we read about masters and how they ought to treat one another, it's hard for us, of course, to relate to that, to accept that that's even in the Bible. Slavery, that's such an outdated and offensive idea. Again, though, let's think a little bit about the historical context. We know that slavery was endemic in the ancient world across the Old Testament and the New Testament, across secular sources. It was just the expectation that many people lived as slaves. It was just true. And it wasn't because of a particular ethnicity or race. It was just the reality that a lot of people, their rights, their freedoms had been given up as they were taken in as property. We have Aristotle, who we think of, of course, as a high philosopher, someone who deeply understands humanity. Even he refers to slaves as living property and as living tools. Right? So to say that women were of low esteem, to say that children were not thought of as, high, as very highly, now to think of slaves. Well, slaves had no rights, no freedoms. They were expected to work for their masters, whether in the household or within the business. And the Bible pretty much accepts this to be the reality. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it is just assumed, it's just accepted that slavery is something that exists and, and it is out there. And no one really imagines a world where that wouldn't be the case. Uh, there's one author I read this week, he said to, uh, to suggest that early Christians, Paul and the church in Colossae, to suggest that they would just somehow abolish slavery in their community would be to incite a revolt that would lead to suicide, right? It was just not the social world that they lived in, in terms of undermining or, or overthrowing slavery. And so knowing that that's true, Paul is trying to think, because Christ is all and in all, because we have slaves and masters, what should that relationship look like? And what's even more poignant about reading in Colossians is apparently, when Paul's writing this letter back to the church in Colossae, there are slaves and masters worshiping in the church together. I kind of wrap your mind around that. Not only do we have husbands and wives and children, but we have slaves, slave owners, masters, all worshiping in the same church together. You can imagine how complicated that might have been. And so Paul writes to them, if we're all going to follow Jesus together, if some of us are slaves and some of us are masters, 
What, what might that relationship look like? And so he says to slaves, he says, uh, whatever you're doing in your work, uh, do it as if though you're working for Jesus. Wow. It's a huge deal that Paul, a religious leader with authority, Paul, a, a Roman citizen, would write addressing slaves, would talk directly to slaves who have no dignity, no rights, no freedoms, and yet Paul lifts them up and says to them, to the slaves, Work as if though you're working for Jesus. Know that it is in Jesus with whom your inheritance lies. Trust that Jesus is your true master and your true caregiver. Remarkable thing that Paul is doing. Giving slaves identity, giving them dignity, recognizing their personhood and their humanity. This isn't happening in other writing of this day and time. And then Paul says to the masters, you should treat your slaves fairly and justly. And then he really does this nice rhetorical move, and you should remember that you have a master in heaven. Again, a really landmark thing that Paul would place expectations, moral expectations upon a slave holder, a master. Now, in our modern world, we might think, well, obviously that's true, but that was not true in the ancient world. And so Paul's offering a vision. He's, he's imagining what does a a moral relationship, an ethical relationship between people with, with different powers and a different power structure, how does that work? And here we get a little taste of it, right? Slaves work as if though you're working for Jesus. Imagine that Jesus is your true master. Masters, treat your slaves fairly and justly, knowing you have a master in heaven. Now this goes a little bit further. At the end of the Colossians letter today, as I was reading it to you just a minute ago, verses 7 through 9, this is, this is a, a really neat little Bible study we're going to do here if you don't already know this, so, so buckle up with me. I'm pretty excited about this, right? At the, end of, at the end of Colossians there, 7 through 9, Paul is wrapping up the letter, and he says that Tychicus is coming to you, so presumably Tychicus is carrying the letter to the church in Colossae, and he says Tychicus will encourage you and will inform you about how things are going here. And then he says in verse 9, And Onesimus... Our beloved brother, who is one of you, is coming back to you. That's in Colossians verse, verse 9, verse, chapter 4, verse 9. Onesimus, our beloved brother, who is one of you, is coming back to you. Now, if we just had Colossians, we wouldn't necessarily know what's going on here. Apparently, Onesimus is from the Colossa church. He's been with Paul, but now he's going back to the Colossa church. That's about all we can tell from Colossians. But we have this wonderful other little book called Philemon. And Philemon is named after a gentleman to whom the letter is addressed. Philemon is a church leader in Colossae. So Paul is not only writing a letter to Colossians, but he's writing a much smaller letter, a little attachment that's going to Philemon. And we read a portion of that letter today. So in writing to Philemon, Paul says this, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you, and I appeal to you on the basis of love. Verse 10, I'm appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but indeed is now useful to me and you. I am sending him, my own heart, back to you. So the context clues tell us with Colossians and with Philemon that apparently Philemon is a master, a slave owner in the church in Colossae, and Onesimus is his slave, who has escaped or who has run away, and in his escape, he went to Paul. Now just think about the level of Christian commitment within that. A runaway slave, a freed slave, an escaped slave, he doesn't run off to a new country. 
he goes to Paul, his religious authority, seeking guidance and care. So apparently Onesimus, the runaway slave, has been spending time with Paul, Paul in prison, and Paul has got to know Onesimus, and his conclusion is, get this, that Onesimus should go back to his master, Philemon, in the Colossian church. And so he sends him back, Onesimus, back to Philemon, but in so doing, he offers Philemon this instruction. I'm reading from verses 15 and 16. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So in these closing verses of Colossians, and when we look to the letter of Philemon, we have this wonderful uh, first uh, century example, case, of how does this relationship between slave and master, how does Paul really imagine this working out? Well, here we have a case. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He's come to Paul for advice and for guidance. And it says here that Onesimus is being sent back from Paul to his owner, to Philemon. And he, and he comes with these very strict instructions for Philemon. And Philemon's call is to receive Onesimus, his slave, to embrace him, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave and as a brother. And I just get goosebumps every time I read Philemon, and particularly that passage. And then Paul goes on, and he really does the parental rhetorical move. He says, look, I know you're going to do what I'm asking you, right? Because I'm Paul, and I'm your spiritual authority, and I know you love me. I know you're going to take care of Onesimus. You're going to treat him just like you would me. If he's come up short in any way, charge it to my account. Please do this for me. It's very important. Signed, Paul. And so when we read about slaves and masters here in Colossians, we might think this is a little upsetting to our modern sense, right? We wish Paul had just said, slavery is wrong, slavery ought to be abolished, you Christians, you need to quit practicing slavery. Paul doesn't exactly say that, though that might be our hope. But instead we get this wonderful example of what Paul imagines. Is Onesimus' identity as a slave going to be radically changed overnight? Is the structural society and its structures that allow for slavery, are those dramatically going to be changed overnight? No, Paul knows that. But in the church, he says to Philemon, and he says to us, receive Onesimus no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a brother. We get this radical vision for Paul's hope for Christian community that these social structures may be present, but in the church we can live into them in a different way, in a way marked by grace and care, because we know that Christ is all and in all. In, in uh, Colossians here, there are two kind of themes that I want you to remember as we wrap up this sermon series. The first is the one that Chase preached on a few weeks ago, and you, sh- and you should memorize these verses, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He being Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, and powers. So Paul offers this huge vision of who Jesus is. All things were created in him. And so then he can conclude in chapter 3, if we are all in Jesus, then there is neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. Because Christ is all and in all. I hope you see just how sort of wide uh, Paul's vision for the Christian community is relative to the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
there are social structures at work around us that we can't overturn uh, simply by ourselves or, or in one day or in one occasion. But we can. We can live into these social structures in a way that honors Jesus and that honors the people around us because we recognize in the people around us Jesus is just as important, just as, at work, just as much as at work in them. And so Paul does a few things today. Because Jesus is who Jesus is, because Christ is all and in all, then Paul can write to those folks of lower esteem. He can honor their humanity and their dignity. He can see them as just as valued and just as important to Jesus. Because Christ is all and in all, Paul can write to those with power and authority. And he can put the pressure on them to care for those under their watch with with grace and patience and forgiveness. Because Christ is all and in all, the church has over time recognized that some of our social structures do not honor God. And for example, slavery. It took many centuries, but we have finally sort of put in the work to say this is not what God intends. And so it ought to be done away with. And we shouldn't treat each other as slaves, but more than slaves, as brothers and sisters. Because Christ is all and in all, the boundaries that separate us socially have been torn down. There's no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the work of Jesus who made a place for all of us Though we come with our differences and our backgrounds and our histories, our personalities, our preferences, though there are social structures at work in the world that sometimes seem ill-fitting, we celebrate that Christ has made a way for all of us to be in community with one another and with him. And so today, God, as we prepare to come to the table, let us remember Christ's work is for all and that all are welcome here. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.